Welcome to Esports Odyssey, a podcast dedicated to making esports simpler by breaking it down and learning from the best. On this show, we talk to successful people from within the esports ecosystem to see what sets them apart from the rest of us. Today, I'm joined by Mitchman, uh, up and coming commentator, analyst, host, 22 years old from Ireland, been casting for I think three years now. Mm-hmm. Events like the ESL Pro League, Intel Extreme Masters, lots of the minors, most recently a lot of Road to Rio, and uh, even some Valorant. Uh, hey Mitch. Hey, how you doing, man? I'm good, I'm good, thank you. I'm uh, glad to have you here today. Hey, a pleasure to rock on up. In this podcast, we always start, we always start at, the, at the beginning. Uh, we always want to go back into the past and kind of look at people's uh, career and look at people's way into where they have, uh, how they got to where they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start at the very beginning, which is what is it that first got you into games? Uh, I think when I was like five years old, uh, we had an Xbox with Halo on it and I just started playing that fell in love with it i used to spend every day after i did my homework just we didn't have the internet or anything no xbox live i didn't even know what that was till i was like 14 i just played the single player again and again and again uh or sitting down with my grandfather we would just play the uh like one versus ones essentially i always won i don't feel like he was trying but i just fell in love with halo one and two and from there never lost the obsession of video games you were a console player back then. Yeah, yeah, most of my life. Uh, I think I switched to PC seven, six, seven years ago. Probably seven at this point. Okay. What was what was sort of the first time that you played any any kind of game in any kind of competitive setting? I'm not talking necessarily, uh, you know, sort of a pro tournament, mm-hmm. but y- you know, your first time you were actually competing for something. I think the first one I ever played was G9, G-Series. It's an Irish tournament series that happens here. It's a LAN event. And uh, it was just me and a couple buddies decided to rock up and didn't get grouped, which was really the the positive takeaway from that. We don't need to talk about anything else. Um, I'd have those playoffs went. I still have nightmares. But yeah, I mean, it was it was fun. It was a really nice introduction to kind of esports and what it was. I I think one of the guys on the team, it wasn't a team really. We were a bunch of buddies playing, like I said, and they were like, oh, there's a tournament. We should go like hang out, play some games, meet some other guys. Like, yeah, sure. Why not? And it uh, got me hooked immediately. And that was in Counter-Strike? Yeah, it was in Counter-Strike. Okay. You didn't really ever try to compete in, in Halo in, in any form? No, I think we, we had a clan at one point. We used to play against other teams, but never in like a tournament. It was just we'd find teams on, I don't even know, forums. I, I wasn't the one finding people. And then we would play a couple of games 4v4, but that was it really. Nothing too serious. Got it. Okay. What else did you do in, in those in those days, I guess, when you were first getting into video games? Uh, what were your other hobbies? Uh at the time not too much i used to play a lot of sports but due to some conditions i had to give that stuff up um one of them was being lazy as i'm sure my friends would tell you but some other (laughs) medical stuff so i ended up going with uh as basically just school school and video games was was my thing (laughs) a cool guy school and video games what a nerd (laughs) (laughs) um so you went from you went from halo into counter-strike uh, so you've always been an FPS uh, person then? Oh yeah, 100%. I don't remember, like, maybe Crazy Frog Racer, all that sort of stuff was probably the only other thing I played, but FPS was always my bread and butter. What about any other uh, any other sort of games? Is there anything else from your, your childhood that you, you kind of have fond memories of? Well, I, I mentioned Crazy Frog, right? I think racing, driving was always the thing I enjoyed. I was never particularly good at it, but I enjoyed it. And Rocket League ended up being one of my um, one of my segues mm. where I, I loved Rocket League. And when that game came out, we used to play it every single day. We complete, uh, competed in the RLCS qualifiers, the online ones. I think we made it to mm. top 32 is the best we did. Um, oh, wow. For the f- it was season one. like So skill back then wasn't nearly what it is now. Uh, like what 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 I can do as standard, even just picking the game up every now and then, is back then what we would consider god tier. We'd see people dribbling the ball in the air and be like, "What the hell? What kind of witchcraft is this?" Um, mm. But yeah, like it was. I think that was probably the only other thing that ever pulled me in 
was outside of FPS was Rocket League just because it was so it's fast five minute games hop on have a bit of fun and get out of there as well it was nice little bursts of energy mm. okay cool uh, so tell us a, a little bit about how your how you first got into commentary mm, so that was that, that's a weird story I actually never intended I didn't even know what a caster was when I first commentated or was asked to I was supposed to play at a LAN event. <clears throat> it was a little bit after that first one I talked about. We ended up going to, uh, we were supposed to go to Belfast to play in a tournament called One Tap LAN. And then about a week and a half beforehand, uh, my team fell apart. People just didn't want to play anymore. A couple of arguments, all that sort of stuff. So we couldn't go to the LAN, obviously, but I'd already planned to go. I was excited for it. I wanted to go see all my buddies as well who were competing on different teams. So we said we might as well still... I like I'll still go and I text the tournament and at the time I was working with my dad who runs an IT company as an IT engineer so it's like well do you need any help cabling or you know setting just setting up the event in general being as I'll be, be around and they were like no no we're good for that but we need a commentator and they, I think they said we need a caster and I was like google caster what is that like I'd watched all the big tournaments I'd watched the majors all that a whole way through I followed teams big fan of LDLC back then but I, I'd never kind of copped on to the whole like behind the scenes like there there are people talking that's a career you know never really realized that but i turned up and just gave a hand uh, i was working with dinko a good friend of mine that we've worked a lot with since then together and uh yeah it was it was wild just it was a bit of fun i was terrible at it somehow dinko was nice enough to try to help me get better moved on to help me with a, a couple bits and bobs afterwards like some small jobs dean as well another guy from the irish scene those two uh, just kept me going and kept me pushing for events even when I wasn't great. Just small, like, amateur level stuff and eventually got picked up by ESL through Dean and here we are. So so during during that first gig, um, <laughs> how, how did you feel? And uh, what kind of made you want to do it again? Yeah, funny that, nothing. <laughs> I didn't want to do it again at the start anyways. <laughs> Definitely after, like... <laughs> During the event, I would not, I would be like, no, no, I'm never, I'm never doing this again. Cause it was embarrassing. You know, I was compensating people I knew and I knew that the, the, whatever, you know, 50 to a hundred viewers we had were also people I knew that I competed with in the Irish scene. Pretty much everybody watching would have been Irish. So it was weird for me to stand up and say like, especially cause I was never like one of the top guys in the scene to be saying basically what he's doing is good. What he's doing is bad. And I felt really self-conscious about, I didn't want to say the wrong thing. And I knew they'd make fun of me and all that sort of stuff. Not in like a mean way, just, you know, they'd be like, Mitch, what are you talking about, man? So I, I, yeah, I definitely, I felt a lot of pressure doing it. I didn't want to do it again, but I honestly, if it wasn't for how nice the Irish scene is, I don't think I would have. Everybody was so supportive of it. And it wasn't something I was trying to do again. This was just me rocking up to to help out um it was marketed to me as dinko was going to cast it and i was going to give him his lunch breaks i was like that's fine by me sure it means i can hang around but everybody was so nice afterwards saying like oh you did really good you know you should try to do more and that kind of gave me like a rush where i was like oh okay maybe maybe i'll try to get better i'll try to do a little bit more of this and uh dinko obviously then supporting me dean as well uh giving me tips mm-hmm. advice on what i could do better so i i just kind of it, it wasn't more like Sorry, it wasn't so much I wanted to do it again as much as I kind of went with the flow of people telling me do it a bit more, try do this better. I was like, okay, sure, I've got nothing better to do. I think I was in university at the time or I was just about to start. So I didn't. I had a lot of spare time, not a lot to do. So I said, hmm, this is a bit of fun. Why not? You know, it was easier than making another team. <laughs> yeah, another... Another pains of of trying to get people to play. Yep. And uh, <laughs> I feel like that's a dig at al- me for certain games. <laughs> aligning, <laughs> aligning everybody mm. uh, to have the same goals. Right. This mm-hmm. is one of the biggest issues there. Yeah. Uh, so so from from there on, walk us through a little bit of your career, uh, sort of from this first tournament you cast to where you are now. Uh, it's a wild one. So I started. Like I said, in that uh, Northern Irish amateur event, uh, one tap line, I moved from there to a couple online broadcasts, all like small amateur leagues. You'd be talking like 2000 euro prize pools um, at most. Then just kept on doing anything I could get my hands on. I would commentate, did the same uh, for probably like four or five months. 
And then eventually I got brought in on an ESL gig because Dean needed a second caster. So he brought me along and we ended up doing that. Things went well. ESL liked us. They hired us for more, for more. And it was never really a serious thing. It was kind of like something cool. Uh, like I remember a couple of guys in college, I was walking around and they would just be like, oh, Mitch, what's up? Oh, he's a commentator or whatever. And I was like, oh, oh, am I? Okay, cool. That's, I didn't, woo. It felt cool to, to, <laughs> to be like recognized by a couple of people within the, the esports scene. Um, but it was a hobby at the time, 100%. I think hmm. um, it kind of got real when ESL asked us to go away for, it was about two weeks to do two different events and one was the the qualifiers for the minor and that was crazy to me because it's part of the major circuit you know I no right being involved in that kind of thing but not as if I was going to say no so we went along we did it it was amazing it was a great experience at the time and that was when I kind of went like wait I'm I'm flying around I'm getting put in hotels I'm getting to do pr- actual teams, you know, like th- that was the tournament when the VP lineup that had been together forever finally got dropped by Virtus Pro um, because they just weren't accomplishing anything. They failed to get through the minors. I think they lost both games, if I remember. They went out in the lower bracket anyways. And like being part of a, we cast their last game as a team. And that was like, that gave me shivers just knowing like I played a tiny tiny role in such a historic event within a game I loved so much that I wanted to to just keep doing it and uh, I think that's when university kind of took the the back step that was your first sort of breakthrough what what happened after that uh a lot I I, I so a Maltese organizer organizer started coming up uh called quickfire at the time now Eden esports uh they took a liking to a couple of us. We started working online broadcasts with them alongside all the ESL stuff. Um, I started branching out as well, doing different games. I think last year I did nine, I did live events in nine different games. So hmm. I'll, I'll do anything essentially. Uh, but I, I, I love esports more so than just CSGO. Like the competition is what gets me going. You know, one player sat in a stage going, I'm better than you and I'm going to prove that. And I can get behind that no matter what. If it's a game of checkers, let's go. I'm in. Uh, throw a bit of trash talk. Why not? But mm. yeah, I, I, it was just a lot, a lot of gigs constantly. And it started to kind of take over my life because I would end up working every day. And it, uh, some of it would be I'd be asked two days before. Some of it was on the day. Occasionally, rarely, I would have like a week's notice or something. So it just ended up in this position where I was I wasn't going to university. I wasn't going out much. I was just sat there. I was commentating almost every single day, um, and it was it was awesome. <laughs> out of all the gigs, I don't want to I don't want to put you on the spot here, but uh, out of all the gigs, what would you say has been the the sort of most major the the most exciting thing that you've done so far? Mm. It's it's a hard one, but I mean, there's there's a few that stand out because they were like milestones to me so working at um the supernova series was the first time i got to work as an analyst uh i worked with maniac which was insane because uh i'd followed him i used to be a fan of all the teams he was on i used to watch them non-stop was big into the french scene and then i'll like all of a sudden i was on an analyst desk with him uh, with sponge as well with banks who i'd seen on the broadcast obviously a lot um i'd never seen him compete competitively because as we always say he's an old man and uh i, I wasn't I didn't even have the internet back when he was playing. I'm not even sure the internet was around when he was. The thing was, um, that was huge for me. That that was like a real kind of pinch me. Am I actually awake? Crazy situation. Uh, since then, I, I would say probably my favorite was WePlay. It was unbelievable over in Ukraine. They had, uh, everything was trained. Hold on. Everything was themed like a train. There we go. Uh, we had suits made for us with like conductors hats. So they were like, they were stylish. You could wear them on their own, but they went with the the whole like tickets, please kind of thing. Uh, mm. It was just, it was, that was really fun. Everything about that event start to finish was, was incredible. Awesome. I guess looking at that, looking at that event and everything that you've done so far, mm. what would sort of be the holy grail for you? Obviously, this season, the Road to Rio essentially took place as the miners, more or less. I'd like to work at one of the live miners. So far, I've done like ESL Pro League, but it's been remote. I've done the minor qualifiers. I've done um, the Road to Rio as well. But I'd love to work on an actual minor tournament. That would be like mm-hmm. the, the cherry on top for me in CS. 
We'd like to thank our partners at Elgato, without whom this podcast wouldn't be possible. They provided much of the equipment used for all of our recording sessions. Elgato is the leading provider of hardware and software for content creators, leveraging decades of experience to develop widely accessible products that empower all creators to produce high-quality, professional content. Elgato has provided us with a reliable 4K 60 Pro capture card, professional key light lighting, and a customizable stream deck, enabling us to pull off pretty much anything we can think of. Head over to elgato.com to see their full product line. Okay, that makes sense, yeah. Throughout, throughout all of your career, you know, we've, we've now heard sort of a, a breakdown of what, you, what you've done and, and uh, where your career path has, has been so far. And, and obviously, you know, you're, you're into multiple games, so, uh, you know, things might not, might not always stay with Counter-Strike uh, or solely with Counter-Strike. But what to you was sort of um, a breaking point where there was something that uh, you really struggled with and suddenly it, it felt like, um, you know, you you did something that took took you to the next level. Was there ever something like that? Um, I I don't think so. For me, it seems like it was more of a a steady increase. There was never like a moment where things just shot off. Uh, at the very start, they did, but that pace kind of just kept up the whole way. Obviously, a couple slow months, and when it bounces back, it feels incredible. But for the most part, it was a pretty steady gain. I think that the moment that was defining for me, like one of the few things I can look back on and say like that was a turning point or a real change for me was when I like fully decided to give up university. I, hmm. It was again gradual, like I, I stopped going in, but I, I was still homeschooling myself. I was turning up for tests. I was doing all that. And then there was just a point where I was like, I'm not going back next year because I I was studying maths and I love maths. That, that had always been my thing was, um, like I said, school was was my other hobby and specifically physics and maths there comes that point where I just wasn't I would sit there in a class or I'd be studying and I didn't I didn't have fun anymore I didn't enjoy it I was just like I want to cast something I want to watch CS I want to do more esports and I completely lost the drive to do what I wanted to do before so I think that was like I remember the day that I I sort of went to my parents and was like I might not go back next year um and I I, th- I wasn't at the point where it would quite be justified as full time, but they'd seen the like upward curve. So they, and you know, you can always go back to, to school, right? Can't go back to esports and hmm. exactly where you were. Th- that was the, the turning point for me, really, in, in my career where I was like, all right, let's, let's take a year, let's go for it, and then figure out how to fix it if it doesn't go right. When was that? That was about, oh God, I don't even know what day it is anymore. Uh, two years ago, it's- I think maybe two years ago maybe a little like a year and eight months or something like that yeah so that that one year off uh, off of university paid off then yeah it worked it worked out pretty well (laughs) very lucky (laughs) and i wouldn't advise it but it it worked out for me it was lucky and since you're uh, since you mentioned your parents Mm -hmm. uh what was their what was their thoughts on this uh, they supportive? Yeah, they were super supportive. Even my grandparents, my parents, my girlfriend, they were all like behind it. Because again, they they'd seen that I was passionate about it. You know, I'd been playing video games for most of my life. I think mm. at that point, before casting, I was playing six hours a day average. That's not weekdays or and that's just average. So it it was a it was a big part even when I was mm. dedicating a lot of my time elsewhere. Uh so th- they knew I was I wanted to do it and that it seemed like it could be viable. So it was like, yeah, okay, take a year, see where it goes. If you make progress, keep doing it. If you don't, just go back to school. It's not that bad. People take gap years all the time, so better to do it True. and uh, not regret it later on. Do you know if your family watch your broadcasts? Yeah, sometimes they do. Uh, they like check up on my Twitter and stuff. I get a text sometime, sometimes if I'm saying something I'm like, hey, what was that about? Well, who's who's annoyed you today? Or, um, <laughs> you know, they, they'll message about different things on the broadcast as well afterwards. So I, I know my, my grand is always saying to me, like, when I'm going away somewhere, when I'm going to a LAN event, he's like, oh, what what Twitch uh, is it on like where do I get it like I, sometimes I don't know so I have to like text my mom and she goes to their house and sets it up for them <laughs> but uh that's yeah. amazing yeah they're really really supportive of it and they, they don't have any idea what's going on just to be clear they're watching it and they're like oh I hear Mitchell but I've no idea what he's saying but hey you're doing good <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, that's that's more that's more than most people would hope for. I think. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm happy, anyways. Let's get a bit into what actually got you to where you are, right? Like, why why you? Why not someone else? Um, firstly, do you do you think it might have to do with your charming accent? <laughs> Uh, well, I think I'm lucky with the accent I have in a way because it's it's very accessible to a lot of different nationalities. Um, mm. I never grew up with like, a, you know, I was from Dublin. I don't have a, du- a Dublin accent specific. At least Irish people tell me I sound American. Americans tell me I sound Canadian. Canadians tell me I sound Irish. So I don't I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, but I grew up with a lot of different accents around me, uh, like very mm. multicultural. So it just never really stuck. I think one of the, the differences was that I knew my i could hear the accent of my parents versus other people like i could identify that that was that was different to how they speak and different to how they speak so it never caught on i guess hmm. i would say like a lot of it is luck right time right place you happen to be seen by the right person who decides to put you forward for a tournament which in turn gets you in front of another person at the right time when they're looking for someone for nah, and so on and so on it's it's uh yeah there's no formulaic approach to it like if you have this this and this and you do this you're in no it's it's very um very chance orientated in a way i think yeah but you've created a lot of those chances yourself right i mean you've stopped going to university sure you've kind of focused a lot of your or the majority of your time i guess on that on that commentary right Mm mm-hmm yeah, oh yeah, definitely. I mean, especially in the beginning, I was watching it back nonstop. Like, hmm. what did I do wrong here? What are these guys doing that I'm not? How do I get better? Um, no, like, I I mean, I put in the work. Definitely the, the work ethic helps. The fact that, like, I've never cast anything I don't play. I play a lot of games. So I think I've got a pretty decent um, grasp on the majority of games that I cast. Hmm. Now, no, not near, like, CS is is my thing that's 95 percent of what i do is counter-strike and i understand counter-strike when i look at maybe like fortnite or something i understand aspects of it a lot to learn not gonna lie about that but the fact that i play it a lot the fact that i play all these games it, Mm. it gives me an edge there plus i feel like having a maths background helps at least in research that i can use more of the statistics and apply them uh more but i'd probably find a way to say that maths helps with anything because i love it <laughs> i guess it does it, uh, it's one of the key key things of life right <laughs> absolutely um so if you had you to put your finger on one thing what would you say has been the key driver to your success i, I guess probably work ethic would be the one like you gotta you gotta just put your head mm. down and get better and also i i would tie it in with that but i think You've got to also, uh, does all the work smart, right? All that sort of stuff. But also be super honest with yourself. Like, if you come into esports in general with an ego, you're not going to go anywhere. You have to accept Mm. that when you start out, you are bad. People above you are better. And you're never going to be the best or the best that you can be, I guess. The ability to always look at something. Like, I I don't think I've ever looked at a cast I did or, or anything I've done and said that was good that was good and that was it there's always but i could do better at this i think that's an attitude you definitely need to have because everybody i know that's successful within esports has that if you say how did that cast go they'll go oh it was good but i messed this up and i'd like to do this better Mm -hmm. it's those being honest with yourself is is really important that's that's such a good point and i think you you um you kind of alluded to that uh with with uh, what you said about Rocket League earlier, mm-hmm. where, you know, as you were saying, you, you placed top 32 back then, and what was sort of the top play then is kind of average nowadays yeah. for the players, right? And mm-hmm. and I think you'll you'll see that with a lot of games too. You know, I, I used to be a Dota Dota professional, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I'm I'm completely terrible. I'm I wouldn't. I wouldn't cut it with uh, with today's pro scene, mm-hmm. and uh, you just look you just look back. Uh, five years ago, even in Counter-Strike, right? Mm-hmm. You look five years ago and at, into the teams and how they play. They they just look like they're terrible hmm. compared to where the teams are now, right? This is the thing, There's right? always, it's, it's always the, this constant improvement. Yeah, the evolution, right? You're going to get better and better. It's the whole thing, like, it's the same in everything. And this is, this is where, um, like, even poker, which at a base level to... I know I, I play my dad 
didn't get it as much like I tried to explain to him. He's like, yeah, but it's all look. Like, no, no, it's not all look. But if you look at how people played that from the beginning all the way through, it's still evolving. There's still a meta changing. And it's not like they, you know, in Counter-Strike, they change the rules. They add extra stuff, the new guns, economy changes, mm. map changes. So there's an, an easy way to say, yeah, well, it's changed, but the game's changed, right? Poker hasn't changed. It's been the same for hundreds of mm. years. Still changing still evolving um once you present a set of rules to someone and say play a game like this there's going to be someone that looks at it and goes how do i maximize my chances and then when they do that how do i maximize my chances versus that strategy and then versus that strategy and versus and we're just going to go like that forever where if you're doing something a certain way there's going to be another way that beats you and that's a real that's what i'm saying about i love esports i love competition because it it's great for me to look at a game and i think okay these are the 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 limits of the game these are how it's played this is the best way to use it okay cool then i come Mm. and commentate some it could be a professional it could be an up-and-coming guy that's you know thinking about things differently and they do this wild thing that you never thought of you're like oh how did he how did he think of that how did he come up with it and it's incredible Mm. to just see the innovation of, of individuals in that way Yep, yep, for sure. But I think the the key takeaway, and and this is you know this is such a good point, is just there, you can always get better. And mm-hmm. even the Counter Strike pros of today, even the best, the very best, if you look at them in three four years time, the way that they play now might actually be considered pretty bad compared to where they're going to be then. Yeah, and that's a game that's twenty years old. Well, if you're doing something for four years and you're still doing it the same way. In four years, this it only tells you two things: either you're you're bad, or the people you're playing against are bad. If they keep letting you away with it, <laughs> that's the only thing you can conclude. Yeah, for sure. Throughout all of your career, was there, uh, you know, maybe maybe there's one, maybe there's two. Were there any key people that have kind of um, lent themselves to you as mentors and and kind of key pieces of advice you've taken away from them? Mm, well definitely Dinko and Dean as I said I, I wouldn't be here without them my Irish boys helped me out we've worked a lot of events together and we always have fun so we're good friends which is incredible but outside of that outside of the friendship that we share you know they've taught me a lot about looking at my own work objectively being honest with myself like all the values in my work ethic that I have how I approach different tournaments is down to them for the most part they've, they've built the foundations uh, the other one would be Banks. Uh, as much as I hate to give him credit, he's done just insane stuff for me, both as a person and as a professional. Uh, just constantly telling me what I'm doing wrong in the nicest, well, in, in in a friendly way. And by that, obviously, I mean in just a cutthroat. Here, here, here's the information. You deal with it. Um, but that that's perfect for me because I like I don't like the to fluff it up right to sugarcoat it just Mm. here's the problem fix it and yeah but banks has been huge for me in that way like i've i've improved so much since i started working with him certainly on the analyst desk which is where i began uh we're now commentating together and again it's the same thing like sometimes maybe one of us is it's usually me maybe one of us is slacking off maybe we're like kind of not focused fully and you'll just get a text like wake up you're like all right got you just holding each other accountable and making sure that we're we're fine-tuned that's I think that's the best thing you can do for someone, honestly. Like, if you've got a, a friend, it doesn't matter if it's esports or not, in any aspect of life, any walk of life, that's messing up, that's whether it's in a relationship, professionally, whatever it is, you just, just just tell them. Just be straight up and say, why are you doing this? You know, do you do you want to succeed? Do you want to do this? Do you want to that? Hmm. Then fix it. And well, hopefully they'll take it the right way. <laughs> hopefully, yeah. Um, so, so, you know, besides that, given that you, you are now a little more experienced you, you've done this for a while what other pieces of advice would you give to advi- uh, aspiring commentators i guess don't give up unless you should like think about the situation that you're in um are you putting in 100 percent of the work that you can if, if you're not getting to where you want to be uh, are, are you really trying are you putting in 100 percent every day are you trying are you giving up things in your personal life you know maybe your girlfriend wants to go on more dates or something are, are you doing that or are you committing the time towards getting better are you seeking advice from the right people are you being honest with yourself about your work just don't go with the flow you know we see with professional players as well i think uh launders brought up a great point which is in the same ballpark about professional players in valorant being um 
like if you're signed on a 20k contract per month don't just sit there and, and coast through it and go i'm getting 20k per month you're not providing value to the org at the moment with the tournaments that are on you need to up your socials you need to do better at streaming you need to just push yourself as much as you can because whatever position you're in whether it's good or bad it can be better and if you just slack off and kind of go well i'm doing okay now so i'll just keep up at the same level you're probably going to stay at the same level that makes a lot of sense one question that we hear a lot from from commentators or people that are kind of new to commentary especially and i think that's very unclear to a lot of the audience is uh sort of the difference between play-by-play and color commentary. Mm-hmm. Could you uh, could you go a little bit into detail on, on uh, sort of the biggest differences and what to focus on? Sure, yeah. So there's... Um, just because you're a color commentator, first of all, doesn't mean you won't play-by-play, uh, especially depending on the game. We're talking Counter-Strike specific, you won't as much. Uh, if it's something like Fortnite, you will. Um, but basically, at the start of the round, you guys have a little bit of a conversation between you. You know, how's the economy looking? Where are they going? How have they been playing so far? It depends what stage of the game you're in. Um, what are the flaws of the other team? Yada, yada. It's just a casual conversation about whatever you feel is a, an important topic to discuss. You move into the round. They start to set up. Well, you're discussing their setup, what the other team is doing, what this team is doing to counter that. Are they getting information? Are they just setting up to straight push a site? How do they play this normally? Is there anything different to what you're normally seeing? That's color. You're providing, you're basically, you've got a white sheet in front of you of all the players and you're just, you're coloring it in for the viewers at home. You're giving them that extra bit of detail. Then they start to throw their smokes, their flashes. You're starting to calm down. They go into the site. When the action's happening, that you should have at some point before that transitioned to your play-by-play. He's going to be the one doing the like inhuman reactions and all that sort of stuff as they go in and they flick headshot 360, turn on their spin bots, all that sort of stuff. That's the play by play's job, essentially. So if you want to be the one that's like, oh my God, you're probably not a color. Uh, but problem is most people are play by play because you give someone a choice of either sitting there. I'm over exaggerating it, but sitting there and going, well, look at them. They're setting up for this. And that's your, your sort of analytical role. Don't be a little bit more excited than what I just did and then the option to be hype and and going crazy and the one that when you go ah the crowd's going wild everyone's going to choose the second one Uh, so I guess out of necessity sometimes you might need to go to to a color role in the duo but it's uh, that's that's more or less the difference and there's also hybrids as well like sometimes you've got two people that know the game really well that are good at color commentary and can play by play and do it well and if you've got a sort of mutual respect for each other you know that each of you is good you're not self-conscious about who's better or you know i need to show up to get more gigs or whatever if you're committed to being together and you feel like that's the kind of dynamic that would work you can swap it up you know i could play by play one round you play by play the next who cares just whatever feels right in the moment and you don't think about it those are the best ones in my opinion but uh it is also rare to to come across someone that you can bounce off that that willingly you know that's a that's an interesting interesting take and an interesting angle to me to me personally it it's always felt like color commentary would actually be the more fun part to do okay Uh, but but maybe that's because i'm i'm more analytical sure i like to think about why people do the things that they do yeah Outside of that, uh, you know, and while we're on the topic, is there anything, you know, any any misconceptions that people have about commentary or any any things that usually stand out to you that that you'd like to share? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Actually, no, I was going to say no, but I think people don't realize sometimes the the dynamic that's at play. You know, there's certain tournaments where you're going to not have the same energy level as other ones depending on the teams you're not going to hype a tier three tournament the same way that you hype a major right it's just there's more on the line it's more important and it it devalues the hype almost if every time someone does anything you're like oh my god it's incredible he shot one of them um that's gonna fade away pretty quickly and people are gonna love it at the start when you when you come up i i was that guy, I, I think everyone does it in the beginning. Everything that happens, you're like, oh my god! He killed a guy with a pistol! Oh, it's insane! But then over time, if you're doing that every single play, you're like, well, what is the point? It means nothing, you know? 
when someone actually hits a 1v4 and you compare that to when a normal round plays out exactly the same and that's a problem you need to have that that extra you know bring it up a notch when the big things happen Hmm. Um, but also how long the days are sometimes I mean depending on the tournament some people like Blast Blast Pro did it really well recently they had the casters doing one best of three a day and that's insane like that's so good because you come in you're full energy the whole time you're focused up you're ready to go and then they do content you know they do their interviews and whatever afterwards they're messing about for the rest of the day filming content for in between the series that's more expensive to do obviously as an organizer because you need more people if you've got four series in the day you need four sets of casters but sometimes like I've done line events where we've I think I might have done one where we did four no, I think the most was three best of threes a day. But that can run, fr- especially because you got to be there early. You got to, if it's the LAN event, right, you're getting makeup done, you're getting all this sort of stuff, rehearsals mm. probably on the day, sound checks. Um, you could be there for 12, 13, 14 hours, maybe even more. Um, the games alone are probably going to be 11 hours long because there's breaks in between them, maybe 12. If there's tech issues, then you're going further and further and further. Um, so there's like a lot of the time if you're watching the last best of three, and this is a real sad thing about it, if if you're thinking about it like this, two semifinals and a best of three in one day, and it's the same casters, well, by the time they get to the finals, which would be the hypest, the craziest one, those dudes have probably already done two days back-to-back of like 15, hmm. 16 hours. Finals ain't going to be as hype <laughs> as, as if they were just coming in to do the finals kind of thing. So I think a lot of the time, uh, people are very cruel, about I see it across every game about commentators being you know they're not hype enough they're not this they're not alert but it depends on the event it depends on how the TO is treating them because sometimes their quality is going to greatly diminish because of how long they've worked so besides that you know long very long hours um, which obviously is is very exhausting and probably bad for your voice too and it's probably hard to maintain your voice over that um, what, what what do you say have been the biggest challenges and are the biggest challenges um, as a commentator and uh, I guess as a freelancer in the in the esports industry? Well, there's always like the pressure to keep up with everybody, right? You got to network constantly uh, when you're at events. You know, after parties, you're feeling tired. No, no, you're not. You're going to the after party because that's where everyone is. Now, I mean. They're small complaints. They really are. I, I love the job. I I wouldn't trade it in for the world to get that out of the way, just to make it clear. But there are definitely a lot of challenges with how this industry works versus how a traditional one does. Once you are used to it, it's fine. But when you come in initially, it can be very, very difficult to navigate. And that's why I say someone like Banks was so instrumental for me actually making it through this industry as successfully as I have so far because understanding the the ins and outs is something that you, you could mess up your first time around and maybe you don't get maybe you don't get a second chance I think for for the most part it's a very solid industry uh payments come late a lot of the time you know I actually heard recently about someone in North America I can't remember exactly who it was but they're a freelancer now I don't think they're a commentator but uh, it's very much the same um they might be a journalist if I remember correctly and they actually lost their house because all of their payments came in so late that they couldn't afford to pay it. They couldn't pay it on time. Um, and that's something you know, I've waited. I think the most I waited was a year and two months to be paid for something I invoiced. Mm. And that was in the very beginning of my career. So it was it was a lot of money Like at the time. It was huge to me, especially when I was trying to justify doing it full time. And I got paid a year and two months later, which is just insane. Um it can be normal that you wait five months, six months to get paid, maybe even further. Mm. And you just never know. You know, you could make X amount of money, but you don't know when that's coming in the door. And if you've got bills to pay, you you could be in trouble. And that that's probably the one thing. If I could change one thing about the industry, it was that they just paid on time. You know, 30 days after you invoice, I think it's fair. That's how every other job works, right? End of the month, you get paid. Yep. I don't see why it can't be the same here. Yeah, I think uh, I think I remember 
maybe it was Richard Lewis uh, doing a big mm. video on this yeah. and, and the dynamics behind it and why why people get paid late and why some people get paid later than others, mm. right? There's a whole dynamic to it also to who's more high profile, yeah. right? Who's going who's gonna to have more impact if people get paid late and so on. Mm. So Yeah, who's, so, who's going to go tweeting and giving them a bad reputation as opposed to yep. just paying people on time and that's it yeah it shouldn't be it shouldn't be that hard but you know at the same time uh sometimes sometimes um uh just just to go into that Mm -hmm. a little bit actually um sometimes it's due to sponsors being late with their own payments to the tournament organizers Mm -hmm. and then the tournament organizers don't actually have the cash flow to pay everyone at once 100 you know it's it's this compounding effect i appreciate that and i understand that and there's been multiple Mm. occasions where someone said to me yeah, we haven't been paid yet. I won't be able to pay you for at least another two weeks or whatever. But then I know the situation. That's fine. With yep. uh, the particular organizer who waited a year and two months, it was a case of, oh, yes, it will be paid next week for one year and two months. And that's really mm. harmful because if if someone's waiting on money, if that's their rent money and they go to their landlord and they're like, hey, I work in video games. I commentate them. Uh, oh, yeah, there's tournament. Oh, you never heard of esports? Oh, esports. So it's these it's people on on computers clicking buttons and, and I get paid to talk about them. They're already yeah. going to be like, yeah, all right. And you're like, oh, don't worry. I'll have the money for you next week. And next week comes. I'll have it next week. I'll have it next week. All of a sudden, yep. you're probably some drug taken guy that's just squatting in his house and you're he's, he's not going to be so nice to you anymore so it's like i don't mind if i know oh it's going to be at least another month then i know i, I yep. can budget for that but what what's just ridiculous to me is when people tell me oh don't worry bro 100 percent next week you get paid so now in my head obviously you learn over time not to work that way but initially you're thinking okay cool so i'll budget to have that amount of money next week and then two months later it comes in why would you like? Well, just just tell me. Yeah. Tell me the situation. No, no, abs- absolutely. I think uh, I think transparency is key um, in in most things. Uh, yeah. Well, in all things in life, really. Let's move on to uh, to something lighter. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is uh, also something fun and something that uh, I always find interesting. Okay. Um, when you when you go into a tournament and especially when you uh, when you're about to commentate right it's it's uh you know you you just got invited to a land you're at the land uh today's the first day right is there a routine that you follow in this morning just before your first match okay uh not normal like i'll try to talk to the players uh if i can you know i i remembered a couple events like uh i can't remember the country but a boot caress i think it was romania pretty sure it was where i I would go down for breakfast i would see the players i'll just be like hey guys gonna talk to you for a bit you know i'll have breakfast with them have a chat how are you feeling about the game you know have you guys done much prep and it's stuff that i wouldn't bring up until if i'm casting it until the game is actually live so i can't of course say to their opponent like i wouldn't be on an analyst desk going they actually told me they they haven't prepared nuke (laughs) like their opponents are sat there (laughs) on stage going okay let's pick nuke guys um so you gotta be you gotta be careful with you know the stuff they tell you in confidence only bring it up when their opponents can take benefit from it mm. and if it's something that you know they won't mind like um, in that sort of way but uh, I wouldn't say I have a particular ritual uh, before the actual event though definitely the day before I'll go over everything but before it even I'll go through every team every map they've played in the last three months six months maybe with that lineup how they've performed if they've played head to head with the same lineups at all I would I would stretch that to six months um, but I think generally after more than three months, it doesn't like it doesn't matter if oh they were great on Inferno a year ago, okay hmm. you know Inferno is not the same map the teams play it differently who cares, but yeah just research is like the most important thing night before go over all your research again make sure you're you're clear and then I would avoid looking at and this is just something I've learned over time about myself I know lots of people operate differently but I would avoid looking at my notes on the day until like right before the game or till I'm like actually talking about it and I'll just glance at them because I think once you start uh on the day you'll overanalyze everything you'll be like oh wait did I why did I oh do I bring this up should I just leave it you know you've done your research you, you've made your bed now lie in it and I, I think it's it's like exams as well you know when I was in school 
I was the one that would turn up to the exams and just lie down on a, on a bench outside and wait to be called in for it and just chill out. Because I think if you start studying, you might learn, you know, 0.5% more that, that you'll remember, but you'll stress yourself out. And for me, that means I forget more things that I've already learned. So it's better to just go in level-headed and try not to think too much. Hmm. So what about you, you personally, you know, when it doesn't uh, kind of disregarding tournament preparation, disregarding speaking to the players. Is there anything that you personally do to feel ready for a match, to feel ready for a broadcast? Uh, you know, like like going for a run beforehand, taking a walk. No, I don't, Is there, I don't think so. Do, do you have any weird rituals, you know? Not really. Um, just... So, for some reason... Every time I have a broadcast the next day, I'm getting like five hours of sleep. I can't, I, like, my ritual, mm. the only thing I do consistently is get into bed, feel too hot, not be able to sleep, flip over the pillow, it's still too hot, what's going on? You know, maybe have a shower to try and, like, just chill out. And But, uh, no, I, I suffer from that, like, pre-event stress. It really mm. gets to me every time. It doesn't matter the level of the event. Once there's going to be a crowd there, once there's teams that I'm not 100% confident with, matter of fact, even if there are, I'll still get that kind of feeling. Just it's yeah. like a mixture of stress and excitement to actually get it going. I just want to be, you know, when you've flown to the country, you've traveled, you're in the hotel. You just want to let's go, let's just get it started. You know, yeah, it's two a.m. Mm-hmm. Let's just start the tournament. Come on, but no, I wouldn't say I have any ritual that like okay. uh, that I would do. All right, I think that actually that actually concludes everything that I wanted to ask you, sort of about your. Uh, your career and how you got to where you are, um, but we always we always like to end um, on a couple of more personal questions and okay. on a couple of fun questions. I guess for people that might be listening that might want to hire you, what do you feel is a key value that you bring to to a broadcast? Uh, hello, I wear nice shirts. First of all, I think that's that's number one. Everyone will vouch for my dress sense. Um, I say that very satirically because I wear crazy shirts a lot, but I've learned. I think I think my main selling point is that sort of personality, fun. I like to joke around with other people that are on the broadcast, with the teams as well, um, and just enjoy events. I think that's the most important thing is that like if you're coming in, treating it like work exclusively, you're not enjoying <laughs> yourself, then the people at home will get a vibe of that as well, that you're not having fun. Hmm. Okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, it is it is an entertainment product after all. Exactly, yeah. If you're having a miserable time and you're trying to entertain people, well, I mean, that's when the clown at the birthday party starts to cry, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really is like that. Moving on to the fun questions. One of them is, if you got to choose between 5,000 concurrent viewers on your, on your own channel or 50,000 on a white-label channel, such as, you know, ESL's mm-hmm. channel or Challenge Mode's Twitch channel... Which one would you prefer? Uh, provided I'm doing the same thing, because my actual just personal streaming is trash. But when I'm, um, I, I would go five thousand on your own channel. More important to build up a brand, a hundred percent. I mean, I've been on streams that have two hundred k viewers, and you get far less value from that. What you walk away from with that is a slight opinion. As I said, I used to watch the majors and stuff. I didn't know who the casters were. I didn't know what a caster was. Maybe that's just because I'm particularly dumb, but it on your own channel those oh yeah so what i was saying about the 200k you'll only you'll only walk away with the money that they pay you for it and one percent of people kind of going oh yeah i sort of recognize him the next time you're on on your own channel people know who you are they know what channel they're not on esl they're more aware that they're actually watching you it's going to drive them towards more of your socials it's going to engage them more with you you can probably be more relaxed there and actually have a chat i love to talk with twitch chat um, not so much when we're doing like Road to Rio, uh, partially because we're not sort of supposed to, right? It's supposed to be more like uh, just straight up match content, like sort of a, a soccer broadcast on TV, but also because toxic people, <laughs> so many toxic people. Uh, but on your own channel, you can be chill. You can just have a chat. Mm-hmm. Someone starts saying something stupid about a team, you can call them an idiot. No problem. Go for it. You start doing that on official broadcast, you're gonna, you're gonna get in trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you you are. <laughs> um, 
Okay, so your personal channel that makes sense. <laughs> the other the other question we like to ask everyone that comes on the show is, if you were given one tweet that is guaranteed to go viral, what would you post? Don't pick those two, please. The love of God, just don't pick those two. Leave it as a decider. Stop it. I'm gonna lose my mind someday. And that that's that's pretty much where I'd be where I'd be going with that one. All right. So it's it's kind of it's kind of um, kind of an activist, kind of a ideological thing, but also yeah. a little bit memey. Yeah, exactly. Um, somewhere somewhere in between there. Yeah, we're well. Okay. I, I wouldn't even say memey. I hate teams that picked us. <laughs> no, I I wouldn't. I would I wouldn't go that far. But yeah, it's it's. I could talk for an hour about why it's just not a good idea. We bring it up every broadcast, and I think it's one of the the few maps that if you pick it, you're. It's, I think, the only map, really, that if you pick it, your chances of winning are not greatly increased, regardless of who you're up against. Because even if it's a team that you can completely out-aim, you know, that, that you're just so much better than individually, you probably still stand a better chance on a tactical map than you do on that, because you'll still out-aim them, plus you can out-game them. I think that makes sense. Um, I, I hate that map, too. So, uh, you know... Uh, at the end of this, I'd, I'd just like to give you the chance to tell the fans what you want to hear, tell the audience what you uh, what uh, what they what do you feel they should hear, um, and also you know let them know where they can find you, find you on social media, mm-hmm. find you on Twitch, all that stuff. Well, at Mitchman on Twitter recently got the at changed. Finally, someone had it since two thousand and nine and had never used it, so. Thanks to that guy for ignoring all my messages. But we got it eventually, finally. Thank you, Twitter. Uh, other than that, I don't think I got anything to say. I think I've, I've made my piece already. Nice. That's that's good. That's good. Also, um, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it was great having you. And uh, I'm sure we'll hear more from each other very soon. I'm sure we will. Cool. Thanks. Alrighty. Thank you for listening to Esports Odyssey. If you enjoyed this episode, you can follow Challenger Mode on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, where we announce all new episodes and share podcast-related news. You'll find all of our socials in the show notes. Feel free to email us at podcast at if you have any questions from this or any other episodes, or if you would like to learn more about Challenger Mode and what we do. 